You know, I don't think in 10 years, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think in 10 years I've seen Dan sing without the guitar or the stand in front of him. That was a beautiful sight just to see that. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Hey, we're in the middle of a, a series called Follow, and if you, uh, you're not here for the previous two episodes, you just don't remember them, you fell asleep during them, you're welcome. Uh, you can go and check them out at our sermon archive at into1.ca. You can listen to them there or watch them there, or you can watch them on YouTube as well. And this series is based on the premise that 2,000 years ago-ish, Jesus showed up on the planet and he invited people to follow him. And so the last two episodes that we've been talking about, uh, looking at some of the people that Jesus invited to follow him, and we discovered two amazing things. More than that, but here's two. Uh, being a sinner and, and not believing, those are both prerequisites. That's how we start. But the people he invited to follow him in the first century are people who have questions, people who have doubts, people who, well, they're not sure that they believe the whole thing. Maybe just like you. And Jesus said, you know what? That's okay. Come on, bring your belief and, and, and bring your sin even and, and, and begin to lean in and begin to follow because you can belong before you believe it into one and with Jesus. Um, today, I want to answer a very, very specific question, and that is what is the end game? What is the result? What is the payoff? What is the reward? What is the benefit and if you decide for this next season of your life to, to follow Jesus or commit again to follow Jesus, what's the reward? Where, where does it go? So we're going to discover today that it might not be what you think that it might be. So the first thing that it's not, it's not that you follow Jesus and you'll be a better person. Although, if you follow Jesus, you will be a better person. You will learn to forgive more quickly. You'll be more generous. You'll be more loving. You'll be more kind. Your worry will likely decrease. And so one of the benefits of following Jesus is you'll be a better person. But when you read, and I hope that you do, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, you won't find Jesus saying, follow me. I'll make you a better person. Another thing, when you read through the Gospels, we don't find Jesus saying, follow me so that you can go to heaven. There's almost nowhere where Jesus talks about even going to heaven. He talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. But clearly, again, if you were to read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the theme of his ministry, this theme of follow me, uh, had nothing to do with where you spend eternity. And there, there's a really strange story. Uh, you might be familiar with this one. You might remember it. Uh, Jesus is talking to one guy, and he's not a Jesus follower, and he basically promises him heaven. So does that sound familiar? You remember that at all? Jesus was crucified, and there was a guy next to him getting crucified also. Now, do you remember that? Jesus turns to this guy, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And for the sake of clarity, this guy had no opportunity to follow Jesus. He's nailed to a cross. I mean, he admitted that he deserved to be crucified, which is almost unbelievable. I deserve to be crucified. But he was a very, very naughty boy, and he knew it. He knew he was getting what he had deserved. And he didn't follow Jesus, not for one single 
moment of his life, but somehow there at the very end, he recognizes who Jesus is. And Jesus says to him, hey, today, you're going to be with me in paradise, which has got to be kind of encouraging for some of us, right? The message of follow Jesus throughout the gospels is not follow me so you can go to heaven. You know what else? Jesus never said, if you follow me, your life will become pain-free or problem-free. Never said it. But somehow that kind of message is getting mixed in with Christianity all the time. So let me just clarify something for you real quick. Anytime somebody says to you, if you do these three things, you can always expect this outcome. If you pray this prayer, if you just touch your cross, if you repeat after me, if you put your hand on the TV, if you memorize this thing, if you send us your life savings, if you sow a seed of faith and send me a check, if you pray a certain way, if you hold your mouth a certain way, I guarantee you that God is going to do something for you. That's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. That's called magic. Uh, magic is when you, you do something a certain way all the time and certain results happen. So here's the deal. All magic works some of the time. All magic, all good luck, good luck charms, cross your fingers, rabbit's foot, whatever it is, all magic works some of the time. And unfortunately, unfortunately for some of us, we were raised in even a Christian environment where magic thinking got mixed with Jesus thinking. And, and they're very hard now for you to separate. The, the next thing you know, you're trying to do things in a certain way to get God to bless you or to get God to give us a charmed and a lucky life. And you will discover that with magic, there is always a sale involved. The other thing is, that's involved is that handy catchphrase. Well, if you don't believe, it doesn't work. So imagine this, okay? You need a job, right? Here's how you get a job. I've got a tip for you. Stand in front of your front door with your Bible open. Open to the book of Job, wink. And then you read. Read the first two chapters out loud of the book of Job, standing in your front door, dressed in whatever you need to wear to work in the job that you're looking for. And if you do this for two weeks, you'll get a job. I promise you that if I made you that promise, within a week or two, I would get an email that someone who said that. It worked. My husband did just what you said, and he got the job. I, 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 would, I would then read you that email, and more of you would try it, and then that would generate more emails. That it worked. And then I could write a book and I could become rich. I could become famous. I could get rid of my day job because that's just how magic works, right? And all magic works some of the time. Jesus did not come to this earth to be your magician. And whenever you see people kind of weave scripture and, and Jesus says and the Bible says in with these kind of formulas and potions, if you just do this, I mean, if you want to listen, I could okay, knock yourself out. But it has nothing to do with following Jesus and a pain-free and problem-free is not the promise. There's no guarantee. So today, I want to tell you what the payoff is. 
If you're going to follow Jesus, you should know where does following Jesus lead. And I'm not just going to tell you, obviously, (laughs) obviously, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture and discover it together. And once I tell you this, once we surface this together, when you begin to read the Gospels, which I really hope you do, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as you start to read them, you're going to notice this everywhere. Um, It it just keeps coming up again and again and again. And you're going to say, how come I didn't notice this before? Because Jesus was so incredibly consistent in his message. So he said to people, follow me, because I want to do something extraordinary. And, and, And the people in the first century Oh man, did they have to struggle with this. And people in the 21st century, oh, we still have to struggle with this. So here's what we're going to do. I had a hard time, honestly, uh, deciding which passage to use because, again, it's everywhere. So instead of choosing a, a familiar passage, one you could say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. I totally know that one. I read that before. I saw it in a movie. I picked a more obscure conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And in this conversation, we're going to discover the finish line. Uh, we're, we're going to discover the payoff, the, the, the place that your heavenly Father wants to lead you to and that you will end up if you continue to be, be uh, following Jesus. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, Jesus had three groups of people that would follow him. First group of people were people that lived in the town where he was, that wherever he was, he showed up, so people came outside and they follow him around, right? People, the locals, they're, they're just there. They follow him. He's a big sensation. And then when he would leave the town, they go back home. Second group of people that followed Jesus were a group of people that uh, they just went with him and kind of more like everywhere. Um, people like Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And we learned about some of his other friends that uh, the just follow Jesus. Also the 12 apostles. There's just a group of people that that went around that um, they followed Jesus because of what he did and because of what he was teaching. The third group is that last group, the inner circle, the apostles. Uh, One day Jesus gathered a whole bunch of uh, his followers. General followers are called disciples. Specific called ones were the apostles. And he chose from that bigger group, these 12 12 apostles, these famous guys, so famous that we unfortunately um, still have a hard time remembering who they are if we're asked to tell you who, who these 12 are, but th- these are the ones that he entrusted his, his ministry to. So in that day and age, it was common for a rabbi to um, pick an inner circle, the inner group, handpick people. So Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, uh, this is where we see Jesus handpicking these people. And he finally says, okay, we have this, this big group. I, I got to narrow it down. So I got to pick 12. Um, and those are the people that we know now as the apostles. Uh, perhaps you grew up hearing them as just the disciples. And that's true. But apostles is the specific group. Handpicks them, sits them down, and he says, okay, now you're part of this inner circle. I'm going to tell you what you're going to have to do. I'm going to send you out with the same message that I have. And I'm going to empower you to do some of the things that I'm doing. So here's where to go. Here's how long to stay. Here's how much money you should take. Here's what to wear. Here's uh, how many changes of clothes you're going to need. Here's what to do if this happens. And well, here's what to do if this happens. And he gives them 
just a, a long list of instructions, specific instructions. And you know Matthew's there just writing it all down. I don't want to forget this. And John, he's, well, Matthew's writing it. I'm going to write it down too. And they're all trying to remember this stuff, trying to have it sink in. And then he surprises them. And what I'm about to share with you uh, is that surprise. This is one place where Jesus reveals to his inner circle that finish line, the end game. This is what it looks like. This is where we're going. This is the place that when you discover, this is the place that your heavenly father wants to take you. Um, so here's some good news. What he tells them um, specifically, this, this won't happen to you, okay? This is not about you. This is for them. So don't let this scare you off, okay? We're just listening in in a conversation between Jesus and his closest disciples, the apostles. So you good? Don't be afraid. This was for them. So I'm just going to jump into the middle of this conversation. I gave you a little bit of it. We're jumping in Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 16. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among, among wolves. And you might have heard that saying before. This is where it originated, okay? I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And they're like, hold on, you know, whoa, slow down for a second there. I'm hearing something I didn't hear before because that sounds like there's maybe conflict on the horizon. Verse 17, he goes on, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Matthew's writing, flogged in the synagogues? And so he stops writing. He looks up. They're all looking at Jesus. And they say, okay, what? He says, yeah, you're going to be arrested. And now Jesus, Jesus kind of peers into the future. Uh, into their future specific, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those gospels, they're all about Jesus. Um, and the book of Acts, well, the, the book of Acts is about the Acts of the Apostles. So that happens later. It's in their future. And sure enough, all this stuff that Jesus says is going to happen, happens. It actually takes place. But they're not expecting any of that right now, because they're popular, super popular. I mean, there's thousands of people that gather all the time to see Jesus. And the closer you are to Jesus, the more popular you are. And suddenly he's saying to them, it's all going to change. You're going to be arrested. And, and you're going to be, and honestly, this is a really big deal. You're going to be flogged in the synagogue because people die from this. And there's a permanent mark. You know, you can go to court now and you get a traffic ticket and you don't want it on your record, so you go to court afterwards to get it expunged, get it removed from your record so that someone, uh, no one else will know. This was a permanent record if you got flogged. Every time you went to the beach, it's like, oh man, that guy broke the law. And yeah, yeah, I did. And they kids, stay away from the bad man. Verse 18, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings, which is, again, what actually happened. We see, we read that in the book of Acts. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses, because they were going to be witnesses of, of not just of what Jesus did, but of what Jesus said. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and brought before, um, witness, you'll be made witnesses uh, to them and to the Gentiles. The, um, 19, verse 19. But when they arrest you, not if, okay? I mean, they're nervous now. When you are arrested. And it's like, wait, 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 hold on a second. I thought we were part of a movement, right? And I thought we were all about the kingdom of God coming. And I mean, you're so, possible, you're, you're so popular. What do you mean? 
when we're arrested. But, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Now, I don't know what they were thinking. I, I, I can imagine stuff, but I can tell you what I'd be thinking. I would be thinking, don't worry, Jesus. I won't be worried about what to say or how to say it. I will be far more worried about this whole thing right here, this, I've just been arrested. So Jesus is saying, hey, when you're arrested, don't worry about what to say. And they're like, okay, when we're arrested, what we say is the least of our worries. Come on, what are you getting at? But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. And I'm sure they're thinking, okay, at that time, we don't want to be given what to say. What we want to be given is a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's what we'd like to be given. What do you mean we don't have to worry about what to say? Jesus, you, you didn't tell us about this part, okay? We all wanted to be part of your inner circle team. It seemed like things were going good there. And you said, who wants to be part of the inner circle? And we all put our hands up and said, we'd like to be part of the inner circle. But now, now you're saying that we're going to be arrested and flogged. At that time, you'll be given what to say. Verse 20, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The mission goes forward. And they are got to be thinking, okay, 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 wait, 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 wait. You're going kind of fast here, Jesus. So we're going to be arrested. We're going to be flogged. We're going to be put on trial. And you're saying that in the middle of that trial, God is going to be involved? Yeah. God, my Heavenly Father, is going to be so involved that He's going to give you the words to say. Yeah, okay, question. If God, my Heavenly Father, knows I'm arrested and knows that I'm going to be flogged and, and is involved enough to give me the words to say, why doesn't God, my Heavenly Father, just get me unarrested? Or better, why didn't God, my Heavenly Father, who, keeps, who knows all this that's going on, why doesn't He keep me from being arrested in the first place? And I know you're telling me that I need to have confidence and, and, and not to be afraid because God is involved. But honestly, that's not exactly how I would like God to be involved. And Jesus goes on. He looks into the future at, at what happens in that book of Acts 21. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And people who are following Jesus are going to be turned in by their own family members. That's what we're going to find out later on in the book of Acts. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Then he summarizes, verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. And they've got to be thinking, come on, no one told us this part. I mean, right now, everybody loves us because of you. People can't get close enough to, to us because of how close we are to you. And Jesus says, yeah, well, hang on, all right, because the tide is going to eventually turn, and you're going to be hated. And then he goes on and on. He's got more stuff to stay there. He gets to the end, 
um, and he brings us to that strange place that he wants to bring us all to personally. He brings us into this tension that we've already wrestled with. And if you believe in any kind of God at all, he says this right here, here is the thing. All these bad things are going to happen to you. And then he says, verse 28, do not be afraid. Wait, wait, but but we're going to be arrested. Yes, that's what I said. You will be arrested and do not be afraid. So so we're going to be beaten and flogged. Right. You will be beaten and flogged. Do not be afraid. You said we were going to go on trial for our lives, Jesus, and that that perhaps everybody's going to turn against us. Yes. And in the middle of that, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill or cannot touch the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And Jesus introduces to them Jesus introduces to us something that he will go back to over and over and over. And here's the good news for us. These guys, they're like us. We're like them. They did not get it until the very end. This wasn't a lecture that they just wrote down and said, got it, period. What do you got next for us? This was an ongoing process. They took steps, next steps, The whole idea of being able to find themselves in very difficult circumstances and yet refuse to allow fear to take hold. He continues, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, can't you buy a couple of sparrows for almost nothing? Aren't sparrows kind of almost worthless? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Verse 30. And even... The very hairs on your head are all numbered. 31. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. But you just said, I know, Jesus, but you just said, I know. But you just told us, I know. But in spite of that, in the midst of that, do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now here is where Jesus takes his followers. He takes us to a place to where our faith in God is so big and so strong. He takes us to a place where we feel, um, where personally we're so secure in our Father's love. And even in the midst of circumstances where it looks like our God has forgotten us, or perhaps he never even knew our name to begin with, we can hear him whisper, fear not. I'm with you. You see, the message of Jesus was not, don't be afraid, I won't let bad things happen. That's magic. The message of Jesus was, don't be afraid when bad things happen. That's confidence in God, a a confidence that is so big and so sure of God's presence, so, so sure of God's love, that's so sure of God's protection. It's a faith that's so big that it actually overwhelms, it, it, it overshadows our fears. So where God wants to take you and where God wants to take me is to a place where I can wake up every single day and I ask the question, what would someone who is like me do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? 
Then you would wake up every single day and, and uh, what decision would I make if I faced that attorney? What decision would I make in light of what my employees are saying about me? What decision would I make in light of what my boss is about to ask me to do? What decision would I make in light of what my ex-husband is requiring? And the fact that I have a doctor's appointment today, what would someone who is me do if they were absolutely confident that God, who can protect the soul in spite of what someone might do to this body, what would I do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? How would I live differently? And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. Because when you follow me, that's where I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to a place not of denial and not of hocus pocus, not to figure out the formula and what's the secret code to get Jesus to do what I want. He says, no, I want to take you to a place where your faith in me and your faith in your heavenly Father is so confident that even in the midst of circumstances that should terrify you, that you will not be afraid. Over and over and over, he says this. Here's an example. So one day Jesus uh, decides it's time to test and see how the guys are doing. So they all get into a boat, headed out across the Sea of Galilee, and a storm blows in through the valley because uh, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains. Four of these guys are uh, former fishermen, so boat, wind, waves, not new things. Jesus is asleep in the, uh, the back of the boat. Remember this story? Maybe you heard it as you were growing up in Sunday school. Mark chapter 4. Jesus is asleep, and the boat is filling up with water. And they wake him up. And, and the, the text here is, is kind of funny, okay? Peter told Mark this story. So Mark wrote it down from what Peter told him. And Peter told Mark to write, we're, we're awake, and Jesus, in the Greek, the Greek is where it gets a little weird. We're going to perish to death. That's what Peter said. We're perishing to death. Maybe your translation says drown. The word drown, and then there's the word perish. We're perishing to death. And Jesus says, and here it is, okay? Because we've said this a thousand times in our life, our own version of this. We look at Jesus and we say, don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing to death? Jesus wakes up and calms the storm and listen to what he said to them. Why are you so afraid? Come on, Jesus. I don't know if you've been paying attention the last little bit, but there's been this major storm here just a minute ago. That's why we're so afraid. And Jesus is like, I know. I know there was a storm. I know that the boat was filling up with water. I know only four of you know how to swim. And even if you could all swim, you wouldn't be able to swim out of this anyway. That's not my question. Here's my question. Why were you afraid? And isn't that strange? This is what Jesus took them to over and over and over. I know. I know. I know what we were all about to go under. But why were you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still not believe that your heavenly Father cares about you more than sparrows? Yeah, but the storm. Why your lack of faith? And, and, and then an interesting thing happens. Scripture says that after Jesus calmed the storm, and after he had said this to the apostles, it says that, that they, the 12, were terrified. In other words, their, their fear of the storm was here, right? And their fear of Jesus was here. 
In the Greek, it says they feared a very great fear. Suddenly, they got a picture of what it means to fear the one that can control the destiny of the soul. And, and, and then they refused to fear anybody who the only thing they can do is to simply harm your body. In that moment, they got a snapshot of, oh, oh, that's what you mean when you said fear not because your heavenly Father knows what you need. That I can be in terrifying, fearful circumstances and still not fear. And Jesus says, yes, Yes, that's where I'm trying to take you. When you go back and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you're going to find it just everywhere. And I'm thinking, why that? Why didn't Jesus just say, hey, follow me, I'll make you a better person? That would be good. Why didn't he say, follow me and you get to go to heaven? I mean, that's really good. And why didn't he tie the whole thing to some sort of magic formula where, where good things happen to people that follow Jesus? Because then more people would want to follow Jesus. Why would he tie it to, I want you to trust that God knows your name and that God loves you in spite of what you see? Why would that be the end game? Why would that be the goal? Why would that be the big thing? And several things come to mind. And these aren't listed in the Bible, okay? These are just kind of thoughts. That, that, that kind of faith, that overwhelming faith, it just, well, it honors God, doesn't it? I mean, as a parent, if I overheard one of my children saying, yeah, I, I, I know that's what my dad did, but, but you know, I trust my dad. He will do what he said. I'd be like, wow! To overhear one of my kids talking to one of their friends and saying, yeah, I... I know that's what it looks like, but that's not what he meant. Because I know my dad. You can trust him. Oh my gosh, that, how honored would I feel as the father of a child like that? So I, I think that that's part of this whole thing is that we honor God with our big, bold, audacious, out of the box, over the line, nobody can believe it faith. Our eyes are firmly locked up. And if you've ever seen it, you know that's the case. It's so honoring to God. But I think that there is maybe even a deeper reason. Because this kind of faith, this overwhelming faith, is the faith that frees us to love other people. This is the kind of faith that will free you to love an ex-husband or an ex-wife. This is, uh, they're just on your case all the time. But remember, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And everybody, when he said that, was going, okay, let's be honest here, Jesus. I don't even pray for my friends, okay? Let alone pray for my enemies. What else you got? You know what? Pray, hold on. pray for my enemies? Pray for those who persecute me? Who would pray for those who persecute Here's, here's why, Jesus. I, I don't know, if, again, if you're paying attention at all, but you see the people who are persecuting us, you know what they're doing? They're persecuting us. The people who persecute us, they have power over us. The, the people who persecute us, they have financial power. They have leverage. They could hurt us. And you're telling us to love them? Yeah. Because if you ever get to the place 
that your, that your faith in God is tied into the fact that you are going to honor and fear the one that can control the soul rather than just hurt the body, then your love of God will create parameters that are so broad that you'll be able to love the people who hate you. Because here's what John said. John, who was with Jesus until the very end, he said, there is no fear in love. And when you get rid of fear, when the fear of people who can just hurt you in this life goes away, then all of a sudden, your capacity for love opens up so broad that there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. The fear and love are incompatible. And Jesus says, I've come to love the whole world. And as my followers, I want you to love the whole world. And the only way to love the whole world is to get rid of the fear of man and to get rid of the fear of the, of the people and the things that, that could hurt you in this life. And so I'm going to teach you not to be afraid even when it seems that there is so much to fear. Now follow me. Follow me. Have you ever met anybody like that? I bet you have. They're just amazing people, aren't they? The, the, the world is falling apart and like, well, we'll see what God is up to. What? Well, we just, we're going to have to trust God. Well, you know this didn't happen to God by surprise. You know that God can transform this and use this for good. Well, it certainly wasn't what I would have chosen, but this is what God has allowed, and we'll just have to trust Him and see. I mean, have you ever met somebody who says that, and you know what, I think there's a part of you um, that's like, well, yeah, I've met them, and you know what, they have a problem. It's called denial. This is just pain management. You know that they, they've taken something, or they need to take something, Right? And, and, you, and you scratch a little bit deeper. You get to know them a little bit more. You have a relationship with them and you realize, no, this is how they operate. They really do have that much confidence in Father God. And then there's something in you that kind of wants some of that, isn't there? Isn't there some of you uh, that, that, that you look at their circumstances and you think, oh my gosh, if I went through that, I don't know what I would do. I hope that, that if I go through something like that, that I could have the faith that they have. And Jesus says, follow me. That's where I take you. I want to take you to a place where when you hear me whisper, fear not. You actually fear not. I want to take you to a place where, uh, where you're around so much fear and yet you have confidence in your heavenly Father. It's, it's so strong that you fear not. If you've, if you've ever seen it, you know somebody who has that kind of faith. It's a powerful, powerful thing and you envy them. And I know at the same time you think sometimes, well, they're, they're just not as smart as I am. I mean, if they knew what I knew, they wouldn't believe that way. And you're wrong. There is a faith that overwhelms fear. And that's where your Savior wants to lead you. Now, the guy that probably understood this better than anybody else was the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles. And that makes what he says even 
better. Paul never knew the pre-resurrected, the pre-crucified Jesus. Never saw him, never had a conversation with him. Paul only knew what Paul knew because he spent time with Peter and John and Andrew and Matthew and the rest of the guys, and God revealed himself to the Apostle Paul. And so 20 years, that's really important, okay? 20 years, not 120 years, 20 years or so after Jesus is gone, um, ascended back into heaven, the Apostle Paul has walked with Jesus to the best of his ability, and he writes to some of the Christians in the city of Rome. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, to which I might want to say no, Paul, we hope, right? Paul says no, I know. I mean, well, don't you mean, Paul, don't you mean you believe? No, I know. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now, imagine living life with that kind of confidence. The Apostle Paul, who's experienced things you will never experience, says that it's possible. There is a faith that is that big. There's a faith that is that broad. There's a faith in God that overwhelms all fear. And that is where your Savior wants to lead you. He goes on, same chapter, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What could possibly make me doubt Jesus' love for me? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then I just went ahead and I added a couple in here. Shall joblessness or vaccinations or prodigal children, diminishing health, international pandemics, unfaithful spouses, government overreach, dishonest bosses, liberals in the government, a conservative prime minister. Some of you are so scared to death because of what's going on in our nation politically. Your Savior says, really? Fear not. Fear not. But come on, God, do you even know what's going on? Of course I know what's going on. I'm God. Fear not. Now I know what some of you are thinking. And honestly, I'll tell you in advance, it's okay. You're thinking, I would love to experience a faith that's so big that overwhelms my fear. I would love that. But I'm not there. And you know what? Me neither. That's why Jesus didn't say, lesson number one, go apply this and we're done. That's why he invited you to follow. Because regardless of what you believe in, regardless of how well or not so well that you have behaved or misbehaved in following your Savior, your faith in your heavenly Father begins to grow and to expand and it begins to overlap with circumstances that you would not even wish on your worst enemy. And it begins to grow and expand and get broader and broader than you thought could ever be possible. That you, beyond things that you thought you could ever manage. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And I want you to fear not. Fear not. 
Fear not because I am with you. And here's the good news, and I think I said this up front. Even his closest disciples, even the apostles, didn't get this till the very end. Over and over and over, he would test them, and they would fail, and he would say, do you still not believe? And they're like, come on, we're trying. This is really hard. It's hard to be in a sinking ship, water coming up, and fear not. And Jesus says, well, then answer this question for me. Why? Why are you so afraid? And I think we, we, we just haven't quite got our confidence in the one that controls the destiny of our soul. We've got our confidence and our future. It's locked in on the things and the people that can kill the body. And Jesus says, well then, follow me. Because one day you'll get to the place where you will be able to say with the Apostle Paul, we believe, in fact, in fact, we know that all things, all things, all things work together for the good of those who love their heavenly Father and are called according to His purpose. So in the midst of stuff, as you follow, your Savior says to you, do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be afraid, I am with you. And I know what life is like, okay? John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you would have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And if you follow me, I will lead you to that place to where your faith overshadows and overcomes, overwhelms your fears. So follow, because that's where I want to take you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, oh, how we struggle with this and struggle with this and then struggle with this again. Father, even now I know that there are people who are rehearsing their own circumstances going on. How do I do this? How do I get my eyes off my ex-husband? How do I get my eyes off my failing marriage? How do I get my eyes off my financial situation? How do I get my eyes off the fact that I'm not in the school that I want to be in? How do I get my eyes off being alone again and still? And I'm doubting. How do I go eyes up on you, God? Just, just how do I do that? God, for everyone, as they filter this message through their personal circumstances, give them eyes to see, even if it's just for a moment, what it would be like to have confidence so great in our Heavenly Father that in the midst of these fearful circumstances that they would refuse to allow fear to control their perspective or their decisions. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard and then lead us. Yes, please lead us. Jesus, lead us in earnest pursuit of you until we can say with the Apostle Paul that we know, we don't simply believe, we know that in every single thing, in all things, God, our loving Heavenly Father, works for His good and for His purposes through those that, that He has chosen to partner with, that those who have chosen to follow. Help our unbelief and teach us to follow. Please, in Jesus' name.
Amen.